0: This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Well, welcome back. I'm really Glad that you're here today, and and I hope that you've been enjoying these podcasts. I hope that they've been helping you visualize how you can get some of these texts from the Old Testament. We've been looking at prophets so far, but we'll be expanding on that. And I hope that this has been helpful in visualizing how you can get some of these Old Testament prophetic texts. Uh, into your youth planners uh, and into your ministry. I hope that's been a a helpful thing for you so far. Today, we're going to be continuing with a minor prophet. We're going to be considering the book of the prophet Habakkuk, a prophet who is looking at the sin of the nation of Judah, and he calls on God to deal with it. The problem then being that he doesn't like the answer that he gets. I'm really keen to do this book uh, because I think it, it brings an important message to our youth, but does it in a no-holds-barred way. It's in your face, it's graphic, it's real, and it engages with something that I think is really important, and that's that we don't always get the answer to our question that we want. Uh, it's Sometimes the answer is unsatisfying, and we see Habakkuk's going to draw attention to the tension that remains in his faith. And in Christ, this tension continues for us, yet we have a more clear view of where everything is going. And we're really blessed, and we're going to be thinking about that today. Uh, So how about we jump in and start thinking about uh, this little minor prophet? Habakkuk is a conversation that I think isn't too dissimilar from the the stuff that we get at the end of Job. We have a follower of the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God, on a journey to better understanding of his own faith and and having an engagement with Yahweh uh, where he learns about himself, learns about his God, And understands where his faith sits better. This is a transformative prophecy for the prophet himself. And I really love that because we get to walk on this journey with him. And I really love the fact that we get to have this clear picture of someone who is struggling. Someone who gets to speak directly to God. Yet still struggles with the problem of evil in the world. And it is a huge problem. So chapter 1. We open up and, and we start with... The first complaint of Habakkuk, he's got an issue and he's bringing it to God. Verses two to four, he's saying, your people, God, they're corrupt. They're abandoning Torah. They're abandoning the law. They're abandoning your way that you've laid out for them. Why are you standing by? Why are you allowing this to occur? Please do something. He's calling for the the law to be enforced. He's calling for God to respond to the sin of his people. And so God does respond, but doesn't respond in the way that Habakkuk wants him to. God turns back and in in 5 to 11, God, God says that he's going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. The Babylonian army is going to come and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to lay siege. They're going to destroy. And we have this vivid graphic imagery of a battle of destruction, of death, of horrible things that will occur to Judah as a result of their sin. And this will come at the hands of the Babylonian army. Now, for us who know the story of Israel, this isn't a surprise. We know that the Babylonian empire is going to come and destroy the southern kingdom. But now, hearing this for the first time, Habakkuk turns and responds with something that I think makes sense. And essentially, he just says, well, this... That kind of sucks. Why are you going to use your power? Verses 12 to 17 is Habakkuk talking about the what he knows to be the personality, knows to be the character of God. And in responding by saying, why are you going to allow a foreign power? Why are you going to use evil to destroy evil? I mean, if this is what you've decided, then it's what's going to happen. But it's like, it's like this evil fisherman who can just catch all the fish in the sea. They're helpless to stop him. This is the image that Habakkuk uses. And so as we come to the end of chapter one, we have this really tense situation where Habakkuk's come to God with a problem. He's come to him asking, can you you do this? Can you deal with sin? And God says, yeah, I'm going to deal with this sin and I'm going to do it like this. And Habakkuk says, no, I hate that. That's the worst thing ever. Please don't do that. (laughs) This is, a, this is a horrible way for things to go down, and it might shock you, but this is where I will come to the end of my first talk. If I was doing this youth group, I would do this over three weeks, and I, I'd include verse one of, of chapter two, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I will just talk about chapter one and preach through that, and I, I'll do that for a few reasons. See, I think this would be a really hard talk to give, but I think it would be a really valuable one. Here we have an example in the Bible of a prophet wrestling with his faith, that he sees the actions of God that are coming, and he knows the character of God, and he's confused by the tension between the two, between what he knows of God and what he hears from him is about to happen. And these are classic questions that we get from our youth. These are classic problems and tensions that they feel. We're saved by Jesus, but why aren't things getting better? Why are we still struggling? Why is sin still in the world? You've dealt with sin, but now there's still evil doing things. Why do I have to feel that tension still? Why does the wicked still seem to prosper? Why are they still successful? Dealing with the uncomfortable reality that sometimes justice comes in a form that we don't find comfortable. That when God deals with evil, he deals with it fully and completely and in a very difficult way sometimes, in a way that sometimes brings terror, a way that people like me, for example, who come from a non-Christian family would feel uncomfortable with when we consider uh, the fate of our loved ones. And these are tensions that your youth kids are feeling and struggling with and tensions that everyone really is struggling with. And so what does Habakkuk do? Well, Habakkuk turns and he takes his second complaint in response to God's answer. He takes it straight to God. See, once again, we see God who will not tolerate evil. And he's not going to tolerate sin, especially in his own people. He can't stand for that. And so throughout this... We see the prophet sitting in this tension, sitting in this anxiety, and he has issues. He has anger, something that sometimes we feel like we uh, can't bring to God because I think in our churches, we, we don't necessarily have a good culture of lament. We have Habakkuk here take his complaint to the exact right place that he should. He takes his anxiety to God. And we need to affirm that in our youth, because the fact of the matter is, we don't have the answers to all of the questions that they're going to bring up. We don't have the answers to some of the really difficult questions around judgment, or we do have the answer. The answer just kind of sucks, right? And so we need to learn to deal with our questions in godliness, and that's by taking them directly to God. And this is something that we need to practice. We need to affirm to our youth that, yes, some of this stuff is bad. Yes, yeah, some of it really sucks. Why is it this way? Sometimes we don't know. We need to take this to God. We need to give it to him. We need to call to him in our sadness and in our anxiety and give and pray to him. And so I think verse chapter 2, verse 1, it concludes this for me well. And it's that Habakkuk is, we have this image of him standing watch, waiting for the Lord's reply. Now we know that his reply is going to come in chapter 2, but Habakkuk didn't necessarily know that. He didn't know how long he was going to have to wait. And sometimes we don't know how long we're going to have to wait for an answer to our suffering and to our struggles that we see going on here in this text and that happen in our lives. And I think this is really relevant for us. And I think it's an important thing for us to affirm in our youth to say, yes, Jesus has come; He's saved us. We can see the glory that is to come, and we have an advantage over Habakkuk in that sense. But we're still not going to have all the answers to the suffering that remains in the world, and we're going to, and we need to deal with those questions well. We need to make sure that these questions aren't things that become a barrier between our youth and. The God that they love. And so, chapter 2, verse 1 concludes this by demonstrating that we should be waiting uh, faithfully for an answer, that an answer will come, that God is going to deal with these things and address them, but He's going to do that in His own time when He's ready to do that. And so, I think uh, chapter 1, landing it uh, as positively as we can, uh, is a really great place to start and ends with. I think helpfully ends with Habakkuk's second complaint because it lets us hang on that. It lets us hang on those feelings and really dig into them and hold on to them and make them the focal point of what we're going to do before we move on to the next chapter and see God's response to how he's ultimately going to deal with the Babylonians and deal with that evil. And so chapter two, God responds again to Habakkuk's second complaint. Why are you using an evil power uh, to destroy your people? This is horrible. Why are they going to be allowed to succeed and have power? And God says, oh, I'm going to deal with them too. Don't you worry. I'm going to deal with the evil of the Babylonians. I'm going to deal with their pride. I'm going to deal with their arrogance. I'm going to deal with their greed. But there's something that I want you to know, Habakkuk, and that is that the righteous will live by their faithfulness. That in the midst of all these things that are going on, in the midst of all of what seems like suffering and destruction, take that little line, Habakkuk, and hold on to it, because you're going to need it. I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. And let me talk about how I'm going to deal with them. And God talks about that in a series of five woes. Uh, He talks about those, uh, these kind of five descriptors of evil in the Babylonian empire. And I think five descriptors of evil that are really relevant for us when talking uh, about this passage with our youth. So the five woes. The first one uh, in verse six is targeted at those who economically abuse Others, are uh, specifically uh, those who use uh, interest rates to keep the poor poor and to make themselves strong. A problem that we see happen uh, in Israel in the Second Temple period as well. And a problem that we certainly see happen today. Uh, we see people uh, by extortion abuse uh, each other, particularly the poor. And God says that he's going to deal with that, that he's going to to target that as an issue and he's going to deal with it uh, kind of in an ironic way where their own creditors arise uh, and make them tremble, where they become prey really to themselves, to their own greed. That greed is going to be dealt with. And so the first one is that greed and economic abuse of people will be dealt with by God. The second one is unjust Gain of power. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Uh, Verse 9. A man who's plotted the ruin of many people, shaming their house and forfeiting their life in the process. Uh, I think this is a really good uh, image of someone who is unjustly, uh, such as the Babylonians, gaining power for themselves, gaining themselves forward in the world, really creating. Uh, and idol in that power, that God is going to deal with that. And so in the second woe, God is saying those people who have earned power by unjust gain, the ones that you are struggling with because you can see how much better off they seem to be, but you can't understand why, because they're evil. Don't worry, I am going to deal with that. I understand now that it's not, doesn't seem to be that way, but I will deal with it. It is going to happen. Uh, And that is God's uh, assurance to Habakkuk is that it's going to be okay. I am going to deal with those people. And now 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. God's now talking about the great uh, evil that occurs to the actual people of Israel and the evil that the Babylonians uh exact on them in the form of death in the form of slavery the people who build themselves up through the destruction of others particularly through violence and death uh, something that directly in australia we might struggle to understand but our brothers and sisters in iraq and in nigeria certainly uh, have an image of and need the reassurance that god will deal with those who exact Bloodshed. He's going to judge people. And as we're starting to see as we get through here, this judgment that Habakkuk is struggling with is going to be fair, and it's going it's actually going to take down those who need to be taken down. That justice will reign in the world. And then we move on to an interesting one that seems quite specific to. Uh, the way in which kings would kind of deal with each other and negotiations would deal with one another and the way that people would deal with one another but is really relevant for our youth today and isn't a tokenistic way of bringing in this issue. The next woe is against those who use alcohol to shame others. And within this we see the way in which they use alcohol to manipulate people. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wine skin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. That's verse 15. And this has a perfect opportunity for us to talk to our youth about the danger that people are attempting to use alcohol to abuse them in some way or another. This isn't a secret. It's a real issue, uh, particularly with things like high school parties and also uh, when they're at uni Um, People use alcohol to take advantage of each other and it is very important that we consider that. Uh, And we understand that is a sin that people are going to take against us, and that we now also understand that God is going to exact judgment on that, that there's this huge problem in our world and great injustice, I think, that many people feel when they've been taken advantage of when they were under the influence of alcohol, uh, when they've maybe made a mistake uh, that they're repentant of and want to make up for, but that they've... Someone in their sin has taken advantage of that situation uh, and now they feel helpless in response to it. What we see here is God assuring us that as his people, he will exact judgment on those who wrong people in that way. People who use alcohol and abuse it uh, in a way that takes advantage of uh, of a situation. Uh, and more so we see it's it's really exaggerated in this sense. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. The cup that holds the alcohol is now, uh, seems to be holding the judgment of God. And I think here's also an opportunity to draw a comparison between the cup of God's judgment and to be thinking about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. That we have the cup of judgment coming here and it's a cup that we don't want to drink ourselves. It's a cup that those who are the enemies of God will have to drink. But now we see that cup has actually been passed to Christ. And that he has taken it for us, should we choose to follow him. Uh, even, even just zoning in on this section and forming a, a nice little topical talk about this this issue of alcohol, um, but ultimately finding our strength and salvation through Christ uh, is a really great opportunity. If you wanted to go off to the side in this point, but the final woe, and and this woe for me encapsulates a lot of things. Uh, And it is a woe around idolatry. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Consistently in the Old Testament, we have a taunting of idolatry, of people who will create images with their own hands, that they'll carve something, and then they'll put it up, and they'll worship it, and bow down to it. And we see that idolatry ultimately is going to be punished that those who choose to disobey the first commandment to follow a God other than God or to create an image of God for themselves to worship uh, against what he has asked of us will be punished. And this is a perfect uh, classic application for for our youth where we can bring that across and talk about idolatry. But ultimately, verse 20 ends coming back to the sovereignty of God, that the Lord is in his holy temple, verse 20, let all the earth be silent before him, that in the glory of God, that in his judgment that is to come as he deals with these five forms of sin that the Babylonians are exacting but are very relevant for everyone else, that God will ultimately be in control from his temple. And we have the earth silent before him, which is a really great image of power and strength and reverence before him. Uh, I think uh, a talk on on chapter 2 would be really helpful in that we see that justice is dealt onto the powerful, onto the manipulative, onto the abusive, onto the idolater. That the idols are always mocked for what they are and God's judgment will come upon those who act in this way should they not choose to follow him and repent. Through Christ. Just as with the last episode, we saw Nahum talking about how God will not allow evil to reign in the world forever. We see in the midst of all this little section, verse 4 sticks out at us. That in the midst of all this judgment that is occurring as God starts to deal with wickedness in the world at the center, we have the righteous. And this should help you really when you preach on Romans 1 and Galatians 3, when Paul quotes this, because in the context here, we can see that the righteous are those who are continuing to stand in faith in the face of terror. That they are the faithful in the face of death and destruction and the judgment of God when All these horrible things are occurring when they see injustice happen in the world. They remain faithful to him. They stick by him. And this is the faithfulness. And I think that gives weight to it. And particularly um, when I've spoken on Galatians 3, I really felt the need to come back here and, and feel the weight. That this faith that we are saved by, that as we're justified by our faith, that that faith often comes Uh, In places of darkness and places when it is difficult. And that's a reality that we need to deal with. But is it a reality that is worth it? That God uh, stands by those who are faithful to him. And that if we turn and stand and live by our faithfulness. Then we too can stand with Christ. And that is a good and righteous thing to be aiming for. So chapter 2. Uh, We've kind of gone from the position of waiting for God's answer to seeing that his answer to Habakkuk is that there is great evil in the world that he will deal with, and that he is going to deal with the Babylonians, even if it means first he will use them. And there's still that tension. We're still struggling with the concept that he's using the Babylonians, but God is showing us that he does not affirm them. And this is an important distinction. So remember at the end, by the end of chapter two, we can see that God may use the Babylonians, but that does not mean that he affirms them. Just because he uses an evil power does not mean that he affirms that evil, which is a good distinction to draw and maybe one that you need to draw in your talks. So that brings us to chapter three. Uh, Chapter three ends in a really uh, different way. Uh, It's very different to the rest of the book. And that is that it appears, at the very least, to be a song. Uh, It's something that Habakkuk uh, is praying, but he composes it on an instrument. And so that suggests that this is a song that he is singing And I think that's really cool. And it's a really cool context to be approaching this final bit with. Uh, I'm not going to look too closely at the text. I just want to draw out uh, the main kind of things that I'm pulling out of it and that I'm thinking about with respect to youth. And that's that Habakkuk is on a journey and he's come to the end of this journey. Uh, We see that he continues to talk about the terrifying judgment of God, but he's talking about it through different eyes. That he's continuing to call on God in this position, but with a renewed trust. That he declares what he knows to be true about God and puts his trust in that. He's different now. He sees uh, the, the same problems and he still has struggles, but he is renewed in his trust and comfortableness in understanding God and what he will do. Uh, Essentially, and I think this is really cool because he's looking to the future, he's looking forwards, he knows his God, he knows what his God is going to do, and that while there may be all this suffering and all these difficult things that are occurring, he knows that the sovereign Lord will be his strength, that he will keep his feet uh, strong. I think this is like the feet of a deer, he will enable me to tread on the heights, uh, meaning. Uh, I guess stability and we have it's a final statement of faith that even though there's going to be evil leaders gloating they will be stripped they will be dealt with that even though sometimes uh, the crops will fail and the fields won't produce food that the livestock will not uh, be healthy there is still joy in God. He would still rejoice. Verse 18, yet I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. And it's awesome to see the transformation that this person's gone through, the transformation that the prophet has gone through as he gets to this point. And I I, I think this is wonderful. It's a gift. The third talk on on this chapter, on chapter three, is a great opportunity to see where he has come and hopefully where people in our youth groups have come to by this point in this series, that as they've been reading through this passage, they've been walking with Habakkuk, they've been struggling with him, and now they're at the point of understanding that yes, things are not going to be perfect, things are not necessarily going to be fixed, but I trust in the Lord, I know he is good, I know he has saved me, and I know uh, that... I've been saved through Christ, which is once again just such a huge advantage uh, that we have over Habakkuk, being able to look back and read his prophecy, knowing that one of the things that he was hoping for was the cross. He just didn't know it at this time. See, I love this book because it is real. I love the idea of doing a three-week series on Habakkuk because I know the benefit that my youth will get, that I'll be able to engage deeply with them. And I think if you do a series on Habakkuk, you will engage deeply with the struggles that they have, that it gives them the opportunity to see the very real way that the Bible engages with issues and that the Bible itself is real that it understands the different struggles that we have, that there are people who got to deal and speak directly to God, and they still have the same struggles that we have, that they have the same questions that we have, that they point to evil in the world and they ask why, and sometimes they also have to wait for the answer just like we do. But ultimately, we see that God will deal with evil and in a very interesting way. And, and, and we see in Habakkuk, he... He talks about it and deals with it and tells us about it in a very different way uh, to the book of Nahum. And and while they deal with similar issues and also with Obadiah, we see that each of the prophets that we've looked at so far, they deal with these issues in different ways and give us opportunities to explore different things with our youth group. How goes on a journey, a journey of understanding, and this prophet goes through a transformation through his own message. And we get to watch that happen and walk alongside it. We see evil, but we see just how much God hates evil and sin in the world. And so we see that God will deal with it. He's going to deal with it, and he has dealt with it on the cross. That we see in Christ, ultimately, we have now seen the way in which God is going to achieve his victory over this evil in the world. But that the judgment that has come down and the judgment that was ultimately placed on his people through the exile and then on the Babylonians through their ultimate destruction that comes through the Persian Empire, we see this judgment that we have been spared from and ultimately becomes what we can hold to, that we see evil in the world. And that it's okay to question why that is there. It is okay to go to God. In fact, it is godly to do so. That when we take our lament and our struggles and our complaints, we do what Habakkuk did. And we go before the Father, knowing what he has done for us through the cross. Habakkuk is an amazing book for us and for our youth and really for the church. We are really gifted by God with this text, that he has given us a way of dealing with these issues that are real, that are true, and that speak to real human experience, the same experience that we have now, that Habakkuk had then, an experience that Christians have had throughout all of history. It's a really wonderful book. I hope that you use it and that you preach it and that you give it to your youth and that it gives them strength to continue to run the race to completion. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.